0: Today's class is the third in a series on what it means to be, uh, what becoming means in the Buddha's Dhamma, reference to my uh, the, the Becoming Buddha book, why I titled it that way. Um, the first uh, class in this series was on the Loka Sutta, where the Buddha describes the um, the world upon his awakening as aflame with the fires of passion. And that sutta relates directly to the problems of of I making and ongoing uh, living within self-referential views, taking everything personally, rather than awakening and understanding that nothing is personal. The next sutta, the Bhava Sutta, uh, related that ongoing eye making as karma, and and he taught karma in a very different way than is mo- usually presented, but that that is also self-imposed, and that karma can be. Uh, the momentum behind karma can be interrupted. In fact, that's the whole point of the Dhamma. And it's interrupted by recognizing and abandoning or emptying ourselves of ignorance as ignorance relates to four noble truths. The Mula Sutta comes at it in a slightly different way, but it also should be understood as in everything the Buddha taught, it can only be understood in the context of dependent origination and four noble truths as he taught it. And so this Sutta is the same way. The main issue of the Buddhist Dhamma is ignorance of Four Noble Truths. So it, it doesn't need to be mentioned at the beginning of every one of the Buddhist suttas that, by the way, this is what I teach because everybody understands the context. But it is suttas like this that are taken out of context um, because they don't really, under, people don't understand the underlying context that Buddhism has become very complicated and to, to me almost useful in developing any type of awakening. So, The Mula Sutta. In this this Sutta, the Buddha asked the assembled monks a rhetorical question. Monks, if those of other sects ask you, in what are all phenomena rooted? How do they come into play? What is their origination? How are they established? What is their foundation? What is their governing principle? What is their defining state? What is their heartwood? Where do they gain footing? And what is their cessation? So, again, the Buddha is not talking about how does physical phenomena come into being? He's not, he's not trying to imply that human beings' thinking or consciousness has any bearing at all on giving birth to physical phenomena. Remember the context. It's our relationship to phenomena that the Buddha is teaching. And if our, our views are rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths, that relationship will always be a self-referential or a personal relationship. And so our minds will react to ordinary phenomena. That's what he's referring to. And so then the solution would be to the to that problem of ignorance is how do we recognize and abandon being distracted and reacting to ordinary phenomena? Another way of saying that, again, is by taking phenomena personally. So the whole Buddha's Dhamma is about recognizing that nothing in the phenomenal world is personal. Well, oh, you have to read this quick. How do they gain footing, and what is their cessation? On being asked this, you should reply: All phenomena are rooted in desire. All phenomena come into play through attention, and attention in this word, this in this usage, is another word for mindfulness. So we're not talking about giving birth to phenomena, but engaging with phenomena in a self-referential way, and that comes by what we hold in mind or our attention. All all phenomena have contact as the origination. We have to come in contact with the world in order to have any type of reaction or response, don't we? All phenomena have feeling as their establishment. As soon as we generate a feeling, we've personalized it, and now we're self-identifying with it. We've established it as ours, and we we're, we're now, we're now are charged with clinging and maintaining that relationship, no matter what it is. All phenomena have concentration for their foundation. All phenomena have mindfulness as their governing principle. What we hold in mind governs how we'll have our experience or what our experience will be experienced like. If what we're holding in mind is framed by the Eightfold Path, then then the present moment experience will incline our minds towards further awakening. If not, it can only continue ignorance. All phenomena have discernment as their defining state, meaning however we discern something will define our experience of it. If it's impersonal, the defining state of anything even a slap in the face will be impersonal because we're seeing it clearly. All phenomena have released as their heart would. It's such a powerful line. It means no matter what our experience in this moment, if it's framed by right view, practicing wise restraint, it has ultimate release. Every experience has ultimate release in this moment, as long as we're seeing it clearly. So the You'll often hear me say that each and every moment has the potential, the opportunity to awaken, as long as we're seeing things clearly. All phenomena gain footing in impermanence. All phenomena are unbinding, have unbinding as their cessation. All phenomena has unbinding as their cessation. Thank you. That's the end of this brief sutra. There's so much info in this, that I would ask you to listen to it again, read it again, but it's it's clear and direct instruction on how to awaken unbinding from phenomena. The, the sutta concludes with that and taken in the, the three suttas together and then following our recent uh three class studies of the meaning of emptiness and the meaning of dukkha this really is a um a very skillful way i think to close out a, a lot of study this year for our uh, entire sangha but also for this particular study so that's the sutta vicky i'd like to hear what you uh, what you think of it and uh, how was your class tonight
1: I I guess one thought I have is, you know, I I connect to that. I feel like I've had moments where I've observed that to be Mm. true. But I find it easier when I don't like what's happening as opposed to when good things are happening. I find it easier to practice that when when I'm more experiencing suffering or I don't like aversion as opposed to, Ooh, this is, it's so much harder when it's a good thing happening. Yeah. So I'm just curious if there are any tips for practicing when good things
0: are happening and to also not be, you know, <laughs> it, it's such a great question, Vicki. And it, it also shows a lot of courage because you're not, you're, you have no fear of, of addressing that issue about the things that I like. Shouldn't I hold on to them? Shouldn't I continue self-identification with them? And the answer is no, because it's only stressful. Uh, we, we, as you develop the Dhamma, you'll learn the difference between acceptance and approval. So the good things that happen in your life, you won't necessarily have to approve them and, and in a way that I want more of it. You'll simply accept it as another impermanent aspect of life that happens to be pleasant. But that type of thinking also allows you to much easier abandon the need for what you find unpleasant to be different than it is too. That's the main teaching on Dukkha. You know, as human beings, we we kind of have this idea that the game is about always getting what I want and always avoiding what I don't want. And that's the ultimate stressor in all of life. So we learn through the Dhamma that being a human being is just experiencing life as life occurs. And in that way, we maintain a calm and peaceful mind rooted in concentration. And it, it also brings, like, from my own experience, it also brings great meaning and purpose to every moment in life. Because when you don't need it to be any different, meaning more or less of it, then you're just living in this present moment. Everybody talks about being in the now. Well, this is the way to do it. And it's the most profound and direct way, I think. You'll experience this as you continue. Um, How did you find the meditation method? Sorry,
1: there's gardeners, so it's a little loud. um, I I find it... um, yeah, I find I like the meditation method. Um, of course, I find it challenging.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, uh, in terms of yeah, my mind, my mind tends to wander. Yeah. Um, sometimes maybe. I, uh, yeah, I'm trying not to analyze it.
0: But, um, yeah. Good. Don't yeah the the reason why we meditate is because it's it's a a human mind naturally is distracted it wants to wander. That's why the Buddha taught it. you know he didn't teach it because it's not necessary he taught it because it's very necessary. <laughs> excuse me, and the method itself is designed specifically for that reason to begin to calm a mind that that tends to wander. And so when you find that you're caught up in your thoughts, in the, in the guidance, you'll hear me say this. When you find that you're caught up in your thoughts you sim- or feelings, analyzing a feeling, you simply come back to the sensation of breathing. That's the beginning of the four foundations of mindfulness. That's how the Buddha taught to meditate. And so meditation is both of those components, isn't it? It's recognizing that I'm caught up in my thoughts and feelings and coming back to my breath. It's not just being focused on your breath. I don't think much about it. In fact, I only really thought about it once in all my meditation career because somebody asked me, how long can you stay connected to your breath? And when I first, I didn't know. I didn't have an answer because I never even thought about it. But when I did, I don't know that it's more than two or three or four or five minutes. It might be 25 minutes. I don't, I don't think so because it's not important. What's important is that every time you notice that you're caught up in a thought, you come back to the sensation of breathing. You're reuniting your mind and your body and you're deepening your concentration every time you do it. So when you look at it that way, every jhana meditation session, if you're following the method, is so-called successful or probably a better way is useful. A great great question. Thank you. Tom, what about you? Um,
1: Yeah, so uh, I just wanted to um, I hoped you could sort of elaborate on this. I had this. I wrote down. Um, so a slap in the face is not personal, right?
0: Now, how do you not um, take it personal? <laughs> yeah, like like just just walk me through that. Let me see if I can explain to you how I understand it. Um, it's not personal because at the end of the day, if you search. We, we identify with a self and we, and we however far you go in searching for that self at the end of the day, you won't find it. There is no such thing as a self. Um, and so now, that's um, not I got you because it's not quite right. There is a okay, self. There is a self but it's but this a, a fully awakened human being, a fully mature self will not take anything personal. So the Buddha never never taught annihilation that there's no such thing as a as a, a human being that exists. He simply taught that's all that we are is a human being that exists. We're nothing else. We're not, we're not we don't have the ability in this life to live a future life in some other realm. Human beings live in the physical realm. That's the, that's the utter simplicity of what the Buddha taught. As far as not taking a slap in the face personally, that comes from practicing the Eightfold Path. So for one thing, in order for me not to take a slap in the face personally, I have to know that I didn't do anything to at least instigate the slap in the face. So that's the beginning part of, of right speech, action, and livelihood. As long as I'm, I'm practicing that, I know that I've not caused a harm to another person to instigate in another person the need to slap me in the face or that they feel that they need to do it. And then the other aspect of it is, is I don't, I never know what other people are thinking. And if someone decides that I need a slap in the face, that's based on their thinking, not me. And, and it doesn't mean I should stand there and get slapped again, or over and over again. I may decide that I want to... somebody joining us late. I may decide that I don't want that relationship anymore. That's fine. But not knowing a person's motivation allows me to... And, and not really caring, as long as my behavior is within the framework, um, then there's no reason to take a slap in the face personally, is it? Because that just aggravates me. And then it can lead to a, a slap in the, in the face back, which can lead to world wars. You know, we know that this is in order for me to end conflict in the world. I first have to end it in my mind. And if there's no conflict left in my mind, somebody walks up and slaps me in the face for whatever reason, there's, there's no reason to react again. It doesn't mean that I, I need to keep putting up with that behavior though. Let me just welcome Welcome, uh, Meg. Join us. Welcome, Meg. Uh, okay. Anyway, did, did that uh, bring some clarity, Tom?
1: What What if you have done something which deserved a slap in the
0: face? Well, uh, then you you again. What What does a a fully mature human being do when when they when they recognize person that they've done harm to another person? They stand up and take responsibility for it. That's all. You know, but that that's just... That, that's part of normal human behavior. You know, we, hopefully... Well, not hopefully, we will get to the point where we're not harming others because because we've ended conflict in our own mind by developing the Dhamma. And so we won't walk around slapping people in the face anymore either because of it. You know, and I, again, I'm using that as a, a... Kind of in a euphemistic way. There's other harms happen to us all the time and we may harm others occasionally too yeah. and this is the way to do it it's, uh, it's again it's the, an utterly practical teaching so great question so uh, let me uh, i'm gonna ask meg if you want to say hello to us meg you can unmute your mic you don't have to i just want to explain we're coming to the end of this class oh there's meg hi meg yeah.
1: Was getting
0: my stuff together. I was a little late getting, getting going. So, um, well, but hello, everybody. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you joined us. Is this the first time you've joined us?
1: No, I actually joined you once before.
0: Oh, okay, well, I'm sorry yeah. I've forgotten. Yeah, and it's just
1: uh, difficult to get on because of the holidays and everything, and the time, because I'm in Hawaii.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. So, what time is it there? Your. Oh, there you are. Now I remember you. Um, so we're just at the end of this class. I'll post the talk, uh, later on this afternoon. And it's it's a series of three talks on the meaning of becoming. And, uh, I would ask you to listen to all three when you get a chance, but it's okay. Sure. I will. Yeah. Yeah, Very good. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you joined us and you have our schedule, et cetera. I know you know that
1: I do. Yeah. I've just been keeping up on reading and that. So, um, just trying to kind of catch up. i I've been a part of another a Buddhist group out here in Hawaii. And um, I just was researching something one day, and I found you and it just explained you, you explained what I was looking at. So good, good. well, <laughs> well <go ahead. laughs> that I decided um, to um, continue studying, you know, online. So,
0: okay. If you get a chance, we're going to start a a twelve week Dhamma study based on the Truth of Happiness book. I don't know which ones you're reading. That's what I've been studying. Oh, okay, actually. if the yeah. timing works out, you know, try to join our sangha when you can. But all the talks will be posted, you know, as soon as I give them too, right. so you can Perfect. follow along with that. And uh, good, I'm so glad you joined us. Okay, you know? thank you, uh, David. How are you? Good, job. I just wanted to
1: squeeze one more teaching in
0: the end of the year. I'm glad you did.
1: I appreciate everyone's uh, comments. And just to go back to what Vicky said at the beginning, uh, and I've said it often, the importance of the Sangha and the support you get from the Sangha is so crucial. Uh, It's a personal journey but the support of the sangha, and I only know one, but yeah, I found it to be very gentle and, uh, you know, knowledgeable, and they s- stick to the to what we're here for: is to understand the Buddhist teachings. So, thank you.
0: All right, thank you, David, for saying that and for joining us today. And try to hang on for a little bit, there. I just want to have a brief conversation with you afterwards. So um, I think you all know, uh, Meg, if you're going to follow us along in the Truth of Happiness, um, the schedule is going to be a little confusing for some. We're going to, I have a Tuesday and Saturday class that I teach here in Frenchtown. uh, And we're going to be going through the Truth of Happiness at the same time the Thursday group is going through it. uh, But so they won't be synced up because we'll be doing two classes a week in Frenchtown and one on Thursday, but uh, the instructions are the same. Uh, read the the chapter. In other words, next week for next Thursday's class, we'll be reading um, the introduction in the first chapter, and then you'll write a little uh, or a, a paragraph or two on it uh, with your impressions, what you learned, and any questions, and then we'll just build on that week by week. So, uh, okay,
1: is your the Saturday class, is that in the morning?
0: Eight thirty in the morning.
1: Oh, okay. That's the difficult thing. It'll be
0: three thirty in the morning. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And <laughs> so, yeah. Tuesday night is seven fifteen. So.
1: Yeah. Well, will that one be recorded? So yeah. Maybe I. Maybe I can come live to the first one and then um, just watch the second one.
0: Yeah, I'll record them all. Um, okay. Though, and the audio recording usually gets posted much quicker than the video. I, in fact, I'm I'm way behind in posting videos. I don't know if I'll ever catch up with those, but. Uh, okay. Yeah, good. Well, all right, Uh, we're going to finish with, like we always do with Metta, uh, but I want to wish you all a happy new year, and I'll see you all online soon. Vicki, great to meet you. Great to meet you. Thank you. So we always finish our classes with uh, a reading of the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. So again, take a few moments to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. And these are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not, content, not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature, Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life her child her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class. Peace.
1: Thanks, John. Happy
0: New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year Ho- hope to see you, see you all next, next week. week. Take care. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Thank you. you. Bye
0: bye. Bye bye. Take care, Meg. Thank you. See you, Vicki. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.